Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Brooke. Hi, Michelle. Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Brooke. I'm a compulsive overeater and a restrictor and a grateful member of this program. Um, I want to start off tonight just by welcoming, I think we had like seven or eight newcomers at this meeting. And I just want to say to you, like, my primary purpose tonight is to talk to you. And I hope that you know, I might say something that resonates with you. And if I don't, I hope you keep coming back because this program works. This is a disease that I've been dealing with literally, I think since the day I was born and this is the only solution I've ever found. So uh, we're really happy to have you here. Keep coming back and congratulations to the chip takers. Um, and thank you so much, Tara, for asking me to speak and to Lucy, cause I think you put my name in the hat. So, um, I'm going to talk tonight about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And I think I'm going to preface this with saying, I don't have a plan for you tonight. And that's a really big deal for me because I'm a perfectionist. I love to talk about myself. I love to public speak and give presentations. And so to show up tonight and just be authentic and not have to put on a show is a pretty big deal for me. So I didn't prepare. And um, I did some step work with my sponsor prior to this meeting. And she was like, just get on your knees and ask your higher power what she wants you to say tonight. So that's what I've got for you. And what it was like. So, you know, I think in, uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about alcoholism being a family disease. And in my experience, this disease, the food disease, in all of its manifestations is definitely a family disease. I come from generations of people who are amazing. I love my family. Um, and every single person I can think of who's a blood relative of me is either an alcoholic, has an eating disorder, or is an untreated Al-Anon. So it's just who we are and it's the blueprint that I was born into. Um, I was born to really young parents. My mom was 19 and my dad was 21 back in the 80s. And um, my mom was a bulimic. And so literally I was born into this disease. And one of the great things about this program is I have I've done a lot of work um, around forgiveness in my relationship with my mom. And this program has just deepened my compassion for what she was going through. Um, I learned my first lessons about food and how to eat from her. And what I learned is that you restrict food all day and um, you can eat unconsciously and you can get rid of food. So kind of the culture of the home that I grew up in at a very early age really was dictated by my mom's eating disorder. Um, she didn't eat all day, she starved. Her diet was an apple and instant coffee. And that was a diet that was suggested to me when I was older. 
And she literally slept walked at night because she was starving and she binged and she would get up at two o'clock in the morning to exercise and vomit. So that was the framework that I grew up with. And um, from a very young age, that is what I thought normal food behavior was. And it's very far from normal. Um, I lived with my mom until I was about eight and she got progressively um, more ill as is what happens with addiction. Things got pretty bad in our home. She married someone who was a very abusive alcoholic and I witnessed a lot of that and experienced physical and emotional abuse. And my dad was in the picture. And my dad, uh, my parents had gotten a divorce obviously, and my dad was consistent. He came to pick me up every weekend. I lived for those weekends. And as things were getting more and more difficult, as my mom's disease was progressing, as this other diseased adult was in the mix, I really developed a relationship with a higher power as a young child. And I remember going to bed and praying every night. And uh, things had gotten really bad in our household. And I remember being eight years old and just getting this clear intuitive message. This is not about you you're okay, your mom is very ill and you need to get out of here. And I shared with my dad what was happening in our home. He, he wasn't really aware and very quickly he took custody of me and I went to move in with my dad. And um, that was a pretty big deal. It really altered things with my mom and my relationship with her. And, um, you know, things, you know, bless my dad's heart. He was a uh, a single guy and um, I ended up really being raised by my grandparents for a little bit of time. And during that time, one of the things that would happen with my mom is she would overfeed people. So I think some compulsive food behaviors definitely picked up for me. I don't know if I was born a compulsive overeater. I was definitely born with an addicted brain. Um, but I think through all of that turmoil, I definitely sought comfort in food. And I started really gaining some weight. And um, there was a lot of concern from uh, some specific family members uh, about my weight. And what ended up happening um, was that things kind of, things in our household, my, my home with my dad really started to get some stability. He met a woman um, who came into my life who accepted me and loved me unconditionally from day one. Um, he married her. She was my stepmom who, you know, she's who I actually refer to as my mother. She came in, she didn't care that I was an overweight, chunky little kid. Like she just loved me from day one. She couldn't have children. I couldn't have a really stable mom. And like we were, we were soulmates. Um, and she came into my life when I was about 10 and, um, and again, I, I had another family member who was very focused on my weight. So what ended up happening as I gained weight was I started, um, my family started this cycle of I would get put on Weight Watchers. So I remember being in seventh grade and told you're going to start Weight Watchers. It was actually put on the table as a choice for me. Um, and I remember being humiliated. I didn't want to do Weight Watchers and I would go and weigh in every week. I was the only child at that meeting. And, um, and that was basically seventh grade through my senior year of high school. It was a roller coaster ride. So I would get put on Weight Watchers. Um, someone in my family would control everything I ate. I remember 
Phone calls were made to friends' parents' house saying, hey, if Brooke comes over, she's not allowed to have X, Y, and Z. I would go to visit my mom on occasion, um, my biological mom, and food would be packed for me. You know, I remember going to the kitchen in our home and like just feeling the eyes burning through my back. Like if I were to go to get something in the kitchen and there was a lot of focus on this. Um, inevitably, I would lose weight on Weight Watchers and I would get so much, I would get a level of praise and acceptance from my family that I'd never experienced before. It was the best feeling in the world, right? But like other people were controlling my food and I, I couldn't keep up with that. And I remember I had like developed like friends that I would like binge with. I would love to go be babysit because I would go and like binge at people's houses when I was babysitting. And it's so funny. I, I had a really uh, close relationship with my next door neighbors growing up. And uh, my best friend called me just last year and was like, hey, my mom remodeled her kitchen and we want to send you our cookie jar. Right. Because I was like always they always had this cookie jar full of Oreos and I was always in it. So like my high school and middle school years were definitely this roller coaster ride of other people controlling my food. I would lose weight. I was the best thing ever when I lost. weight. I got so much attention and then inevitably I'd gain it back. Um, the other thing that I learned during that period of time is not only are you good when you're skinny, but if you get good grades, you can do anything you want to. So literally look good, be like an all-star student, be the like smartest one in the class, the best, the gold star, and like you're, you're set, you're good to go. So um, I went on to college and nobody was there micromanaging what I was getting from the dining hall and it was on. For four years when I was getting my bachelor's degree, uh, I was just on a vendor, like food, alcohol, you name it. And as long as I had good grades, nothing, it did not matter what I was doing. I was an absolute mess. And I was on the Dean's list every semester. I wouldn't go to class. I'd have like people, I'd make a connection in a class, like someone I can get notes off of and memorize everything the night before, go and take the midterm and the final. Like I aced the academics and like, I looked awful. I was very unhealthy. I was like smoking cigarettes. I was just partying all the time. And during that time, um, you know, I would come home on the weekends or I, not very often. I would come home actually on the breaks. And like, I just remember a certain family member, I could see her look me up and down and like the disappointment because during college, I probably, I'm pretty tall so I can carry some weight, but I, I was well over 200 pounds. Um, and I was a real mess. Um, I did so well academically. I ended up getting this like scholarship for my master's degree, a full ride, went into that program. And during that time, I was like, you know what? I don't want to go into the working world looking like this. Like I've been doing the one thing I have to do, which is getting the really good grades, but I'm not going to be the full package until I am like the most beautiful person in the, in the room. Like, and I need to lose this weight. What can I do? Well, what I can do is go back to Weight Watchers. So I did, and you know, I just wanna say, I think Weight Watchers really works for people. It doesn't work for me because I'm an addict. 
and I don't do anything middle of the road. It's going to be, I'm going to go on Weight Watchers and I'm going to be at the very far end of their weight range for me. Like I'm going to be as skinny as I can possibly get. I have an addict brain and I, I can't do it sanely. And it, it really kind of triggers me. And so I signed up for Weight Watchers again when I was in grad school. I lost all this weight. I got so much praise and recognition. My family was so proud of me when that program was over, when my graduate school was over. And I moved home to my, my hometown. I'm from the Midwest. I'm from a small town in Ohio, the middle of nowhere. I moved home for a year and I got my first professional job. And um, I really started hardcore restricting. So I had met my goal weight and Weight Watchers and it wasn't enough. I wanted, again, it's like a 30 pound weight range and I have a bigger build and I wanted to be the very end of that weight range. Um, I started doing some hardcore food restricting and some hardcore exercising. Um, I discovered this love for running and it was like never, it, it fueled me. It was like my soul needed to run and it was never far enough. Like I did my first 5k and that was nothing. Like, of course I need to do the marathon. So um, during that year at home, it, it wasn't the right place for me to be. And I, I was too big for it. Right. I was skinny and, you know, I just thought I was the shit. Um, and an opportunity came up for me in LA. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I sold everything I owned. I actually had some relatives here in LA and I moved to LA and I did not have a playbook. I did not have tools. My playbook was what I learned from living in a, an alcoholic household with addicts. Um, and my playbook at that point became, if I can control my food and exercise, like I've got this. If I can look good on paper, like I've got this. It doesn't matter what my character is like. I've just got to package myself up and like I can, I can do anything. So I came to LA and it was a really big change. Living in Los Angeles is very different than small town Ohio. And um, I took on a job at a pretty prestigious place. I don't think I had any idea what I was getting into. And um, I felt really out of control. My anxiety was really high. Um, I felt pretty isolated and alone. And my solution for it was continue losing more weight and run, 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 run. Um, and so what I started doing was like waking up at four in the morning, running 10 miles before work, really restricting my food, um, really hardcore. And then I lived next door to a Vons and I would come home from work at the end of the day and I was starving. And so I started doing some like really weird binge behavior. And um, what ended up happening was a big thing was coming up at work. I was scared to death. I went next door to Vaughn's. I bought a whole bunch of something over there. Um, and I came home and I binged and purged for the first time. And it scared the shit out of me. Um, I remember, first of all, the anxiety I was feeling was gone. It was an instant relief. And the act itself was so incredibly violent. Like, I, I was horrified. And so I kind of dabbled in that for a little while and it really scared me. I actually started working with a therapist over that specific behavior because I was real, I was scared of the violence that um, 
that happened. And so I stopped doing that. The running thing just kept going for me. Um, and so that kind of like moved into this period of just like constant dieting. Um, during that time, I met my husband who, bless his heart, I have put him on every diet known to man, every cleanse. Um, I made him run the LA marathon with me. Like our life for a good decade was like my diets and what I was going to put him on. And like, we'd eat something that I deemed as bad. And it's like the next morning we're going to start, we're going to start over and we're, you know, I'm going to put us on like the clean program or whatever the flavor of the week diet was. And, um, I don't think we realized what, how deeply diseased and dysfunctional that was. Um, the exercise, you know, like I think I approached it. My approach to life was very much like my, my exercise addiction. Um, it was attack mode. Like I'm getting up at four in the morning. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to pound myself into the ground for an hour. It's not enough unless it's like, I've exhausted myself by 5am. Like it was never enough for me. So that's what it was like. It was, it was insanity. And my brain was always thinking about food or exercise. If I was having a conversation with you, we were going to talk about what diet I was on or how much I ran, like how boring, nobody wants to hear that, but that's all, that was the only substance I had because that was my mental space. So what happened? Um, what happened was I completely lost contact with my higher power is what happened. What I've learned through working the steps is my problem actually wasn't a food problem. It was definitely a God problem. Um, my husband and I got married and a few years into our marriage, we decided that we wanted to try to have kids. And so we tried and we got pregnant and I was like, of course it's going to work like this. Well, Two years later and multiple miscarriages later, um, I was just really broken. Um, now, I, I do think that there may have been possibly, I don't know if there was a connection between the miscarriages and the dieting, the restricting, the exercise, I don't know. Um, but what I do know is I got really angry with God because it was so painful. I was in so much grief and I wasn't getting what I wanted on my terms. I wanted a baby. I wanted it now. And I wanted God to make it happen. And it wasn't happening. So my husband and I kind of decided we were going to throw all of our cards on the table. Um, I really went into this attitude of like, I don't know. I think about the movie Forrest Gump and when Lieutenant Dan's like up on that sailboat mast and he's like, bring it. That was my headspace. And um, I decided I was going to do all the things. If God wasn't going to give me what I wanted, we were going to remodel our house. I was going to sign up and get my doctorate because of course, I'm not just going to like get a bachelor's. I'm going to go all the way. That was always my plan because that was how I thought about like, just attack it, do it all, get it all. And um, I applied for this uh, doctoral program in my field and got in. We decided to remodel our house. All these things were happening and boom, we got pregnant. And all the way through that pregnancy, I was in fear. I didn't know if it was really going to happen. And um, 
So I just was like really doing a lot of playing God on my own. So had my daughter and had my daughter, my house is totally gutted and under construction mode. And I'm in like a really hard doctoral program. And it was hard. It was a tough time. Um, and of course, after having a baby, like first thing I want to do is start exercising and dieting again. So I kind of got back on the train and, and rode the roller coaster, the Weight Watchers, the cleansing. And um, life felt unmanageable. I, I was having a really hard time keeping it all together. There was no way I was going to quit this stuff doctoral program. There was no way that, you know, I'm, I've got to, there is no other choice, but for me to be the best mother in the world and, um, put a lot of pressure on myself. And, you know, of course it's all showing up in food and exercise. Um, I ended up my second year of my doctoral program. I've got a one year old and that year, um, I lost my stepmom, the mom who raised me and I was absolutely devastated. Um, I also had some other family loss pretty close there on the day of my mom's funeral. I lost my grandmother who I was very close to and I didn't have tools. Like, you know, my tools are go get a doctorate, diet, exercise, um, control, control, control. And after the death of my mom, I couldn't quit eating. I literally could not stop eating. And I was working with a therapist at the time and I'd come to her and I was telling her about, you know, I'm trying to like do the stairs over at Baldwin Hill Scenic Overlook and sign back up for Weight Watchers. And I'm like gaming and manipulating points and doing cleanse, like all this crazy stuff to try to manage and control my grief. And of course my relationship with my higher power is nothing at this point. I was just like, there is no God. Like, God doesn't give somebody stage four small cell lung cancer and take them out in six weeks, like not in my life, you know? And I just, I was really struggling and I couldn't stop eating. I was doing things with food that I had not done for a very long time, like sitting in the parking lot of Trader Joe's eating, like shoving sugar in my face. I could not stop. And my therapist at the time was like, what I'm not like, I don't know if Weight Watchers is your solution. Like what I'm not hearing here is that you're powerless. And I was like, me? Powerless? Like, no, no, no. Like, you don't know who you're talking to. I am in control here and I've got the power. And she brought it up a few times and I was like, you know, she said, maybe you should check out OA. And I was like, I'm not going to a group called Overeaters Anonymous. Like none of that was really resonating for me. And we kind of had that song and dance for about two months. And again, I'm in Trader Joe's parking lot, shoving sugar in my face. And I was like, okay, I'm going to check it out. I'm going to find a meeting. So, you know, I want to say this light a candle meeting got me. The door of willingness was cracked open as they talk about in the steps. And this podcast got me into the rooms. I was working. I'd found a lunch meeting on a Friday and I was like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to do the thing and just check it out. And I was driving there and I was ready to turn around in a gas station parking lot and go back to work. And on the way, I decided I would listen to a podcast to just kind of get a sense of what I was getting into. And the woman on the podcast mentioned that she had had rheumatic fever as a kid. And I was like, 
oh, I had rheumatic fever. It's, like, it's not something that's a very common illness these days. And I took it as like a sign, uh, maybe not from a higher power because I wasn't back in it with my higher power. And um, I ended up going to that meeting. And in those rooms, I, you know, in that room, I, I heard my story and like everything, there was a speaker there that day. Um, I, I resonated with all of it. And so I decided to, to give it a shot. And that was in October of 2019. I will share something kind of interesting about that podcast. Um, I very quickly, after that first meeting, I went to a meeting at the cottage. I heard a speaker. She was great. She was just like clear and put together. And like, I was like, I want what she has. I called her up. She's my sponsor. And as we were working the steps, probably like well into the steps, the rheumatic fever thing came up and I realized, oh my gosh, the person I heard on that podcast ended up being my sponsor. It was like a complete, we want to talk about a God shot and it all came out of this podcast. So I'm really grateful to light a candle for many reasons. Um, and so my sponsor is amazing um, and has just helped my recovery. I mean, I, my gratitude is, is so deep. Um, so uh, I guess I'm going to kind of head into what I've kind of talked about what happened and, and what it's like now. Um, so what it's like now, I just finished working the 12 steps. In fact, I was doing some 12 step work with my sponsor right before this meeting. Um, give you an example of what it's like now. Uh, before this program, I have a pretty stressful job. Spent a lot of mornings up at 3.30 in the morning trying to solve the problems of the world and be in charge. What it's like now is I have a higher power. My life is very step three and I've got to turn most of my life over to my higher power because I'm not in charge. I am no longer in charge of the world. In fact, I know there is very little that I'm in control of. Um, I mentioned I have a sponsor. I go to meetings. I try to hit five meetings a week. I do service. Um, I'm a secretary at a meeting. Um, I try to do service where I can. Um, and I have a pretty, something that's been an anchor for me is I have a spiritual practice that like has to happen in the morning. I have to go into my day reconnecting with my higher power because if not, I'm in my will, which is not great. Um, and it gets really messy when I'm in Brooksville, let me tell you, um, because I'm meddling, I'm manipulating, I'm like all, you know, really trying, I'm a major control freak. Um, so I start my day, I do meditation five to 10 minutes, I get on my knees. And the beautiful thing about step 11 is my prayer practice really evolved naturally while I was in that step. And I do some prayer. I start off, I say the St. Francis prayer. Um, and then I do a first, second and third step. I tell, you know, I share with God everything that I'm powerless over, um, asked to be okay, restored. 10 minutes left. Okay, thank you, Arlene. Ask to be restored to sanity, say the third step prayer, and then I just go into like a little prayer template I have. I talk about gratitude with my higher power. I, um, 
I asked humbly, humbly asked to be relieved of my defects. And what I've learned from this program is I have quite a few of them, lo and behold. Um, and, you know, do a couple things with my higher power. And then I always do writing and literature. And there's another spiritual thing that I've dabbled in for a like a while and that's kind of picked up again and I do some reading from that. I need that practice before I set foot into the world for the day. And I have a four-year-old, so sometimes I don't get to do that first thing, but I have to carve out some time at some point in the morning to do that. When I don't, I can feel I'm just kind of like off. Um, working the steps, this is my 12 and 12. This book right here, I mean, every word has hit my heart. Um, I have learned that, like I said, the, the recovery for me wasn't food. It was reconnecting with my higher power. It was readjusting my relationship with God. And the 12 steps are, are my playbook. I now have a playbook. Um, I now know what to do. I was just saying to my sponsor that concept, I remember being a newcomer and like hearing like, you know, we would intuitively know how to solve or know how to approach situations that used to baffle us. And I would think like that is what I'm never going to, there's so many things that baffle me and I'm never going to have the intuitive knowledge to know how to like move through them. Yeah, that happens for me now. I intuitively know, I know what my defects are. I know what my assets are. Um, and I know that like, I need to entrust my higher power with most decisions um, because left to my own devices, I'm in control and manipulation mode and it just gets really dicey for me. Um, I'll share a couple more things about working the steps and then turn it over for questions. Um, just wanna say, I just wanna share when I was doing my 12 steps, I had to make an amends to my high school Spanish teacher who I was horrible to, but I really approached every step of the 12 steps with radical honesty. And like, I literally picked up the phone and called this woman and apologized for my behavior. I was horrible and um, had just like a great conversation with her, had some other amends to make. It's, you know, I went into it, I think as a newcomer, I was afraid of what types of amends I would have to make. I was carrying guilt over things that I didn't need to be guilty over. And really the biggest amends that I needed to make was to myself. Um, and that was really interesting learning. And I also learned in this program, you know, one of my MOs was I'm so transparent and honest. And I learned in this program, I am not so transparent and honest. And I very often will um, reinterpret situations to meet my own version of what needs to happen or of the truth. And that's been a really big one for me. If there is a hint of dishonesty in a thought or an action, I pick up on it like right away and we'll just readjust the course there. And that's really big for me because that's the stuff I used to eat over. Like I would do these little dishonest things and then just be like riddled with guilt all the time. So this program has, has really freed me. Um, on so many levels, spiritually and emotionally. And again, just so much gratitude for my sponsor. I've got some sober sisters who are on this meeting tonight. Um, we have a weekly meeting and um, 
thank you for, for being a part of my recovery and, and walking me through this. I'm so grateful. And um, Arlene, I'll, I'll open up for questions. Alrighty, thank you so much, Brooke. That was wonderful. Um, so, yes, if you have any questions, please go ahead and click on the reactions and raise your hand and I'll be more than happy to call on you. Um, C? Hi, Brooke, thank you so much. That was fabulous. Could you talk a little bit about your plan of eating as a restrictor? Hi, Fee. Um, before I talk about that, I just want to say one of the one of the coolest little bits of wisdom that I've heard a fellow say came from Fee, and she said um, that spiritual like development that I wanted to get uh, every time I did a cleanse, that thing I was looking for came out of working the steps. Uh, and that's so true of being a restrictor. Yeah. So my plan of eating is a restrictor. Um, my abstinence is three meals a day and two optional snacks. And as a restrictor, I am always looking for some kind of a rule. It kind of pops up insidiously. Um, all of a sudden, I'll be leaving a message for my sponsor about how I need to cut out gluten. So for me, this is really about balance because I'm an addict and I'm real into extremes. I'm either all in or all out. And so my food plan has to be balanced. It can't be tethered by too many rules. Um, and so there are times where like, yeah, I let my husband choose what we're going to have for dinner and like he might order out and it's something that I'm just going to sit down and eat and be okay with. And it doesn't have to be good or bad, or I don't have to like cut out gluten for the rest of my life because I had this one thing. So I think fee to answer your question, the restrictor piece is about finding the balance, being aware of the rules um, that I always want to enforce on everything. Um, so thank you for asking that question. And I will share, you know, when I came into program, I decided to put sugar down and I still have, there might be a day where I decide I'm going to have a piece of cake. Um, you know, I have a four-year-old and she wonders like, why isn't mama having a cupcake? And I don't want it to become like a weird thing, but I will say the thing that drives me insane is sugar. It gets my brain really fired up and going. And I do think that I have a reaction to it. Um, and it's been really liberating to have that off the table. So we'll see what happens in the future with sugar. Thank you for your question, Fee. Okay, Steve. Uh, <clears throat> hey, Brooke, thanks so much for your story. Um, there was a saying you said, the door of blank open. It was something from the big book you said, I don't remember it. Yeah, it's from the 12 and 12. So they talk about the door of willingness is all you have to do. I think it's in step one is put the key in the door and it'll crack open just by willingness and it will continue to open with the willingness. And I think that's step one. Thank you. Thank you, Brooke. All right, we have um, a couple minutes for more questions. Um, Bonnie Jo. Thank you. Um, thank you, Brooke. Uh, wonderful share. Um, I related to some and some not so much. I wonder if you can talk about your exercise. That was such a, 
you know, a, like what's it like now and um, the marathons and the, yeah. the marathons and all of that. So what's it like now and how, how, how did that change? Thanks, Bonnie Jo. One of my favorite topics. Like I said, I love to talk about how much I've been running. Um, so exercise now, I have to be really careful with. I will share that I see a chiropractor three days a week right now because I did some major damage to my body from pounding it, I think, with running. Um, and so what I do now is I exercise when I want to, and I don't exercise when I don't want to. And if I start coming up with, I'm going to go into this week doing the Peloton five times, like I have to be really, really careful because I will definitely use exercise to abuse myself. So what it looks like now is um, running is mostly off the table. I will be honest. I did a, a little two mile run yesterday and I'll share with you, that's actually recovery for me because a two mile run in the, like, why would I even waste my time with that? If it's not like at least a 5k or more, like, why would I do that? That is recovery for me, but I don't run very often because it really affects my joints. It's uh, mostly, we do have a Peloton and there was a whole period of time when that came into my house. It's a pandemic Peloton where I had to just be really careful with it because before I know it, I can start, uh, I start getting really competitive. It's gotta be like, you know, I'm on, you know, I'm signed up for a challenge. When I start doing those things, that is a big red flag for me. Um, exercise has to be an act of love and it cannot be because I ate something. I never ever exercise now over something I ate. That's really big um, for me. And it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be an act of self-love. So that's kind of my guideline. And um, yeah, I think the days of the hardcore stuff for me um, are over and that's okay. Guess what? Like it, it doesn't really make a difference. It hasn't really changed my body that much, you know, in the last year and a half that I've been in program, I've been really light on exercise and it doesn't matter. You know, I think my joints are happier, but thanks.